0: Tonight, we're going to talk about miracles. One of the objections to the Bible and Christianity in general by a lot of people, especially atheists, is miracles. So let me begin with their purpose. Uh biblically, miracles are used by God to verify his message uh, and who speaks for him. Uh, if God wanted to send a message through Moses, Jesus, Muhammad, or Joseph Smith, then he would pour out a miracle to uh, support or verify that message. A miracle, the definition of a miracle or what qualifies a miracle as one, is if it is a special act of God that interrupts the normal course of events or nature. It is an event which is not producible by natural causes, such as a rainstorm or an earthquake. Not that God can't cause those, but it's something uh, supernatural. uh, And so to sum those two things up, a miracle is an act of God to confirm the word of God through a messenger of God. So, questions that people ask, or we would ask ourselves, there's six of them, there's actually more, but six I have written down. Does God work this way? Are miracles even possible? Is it rational for an educated, intelligent individual to believe in miracles? Does a person have to suspend their critical judgment in order to believe in something as improbable as miracles? aren't miracles mere superstition from the uneducated who don't know any better? Suppose someone from the first century saw an airplane. What would they think? They would think it was a miracle or some act of God. Or if you've seen the movie The Gods Must Be Crazy, if he drops a Coca-Cola bottle from the plane and all of a sudden it's this amazing thing for these African villagers. It is a hilarious movie. The second one's even funnier. Um, But that's kind of... And, you know, it's obviously a pun pun on documentaries, but that's the idea of uh, the miracles or that some people have about miracles. And then the other question is, is there even evidence for miracles in the first place? Now, one of the objections for miracles and some of these objections, they come from the same background. And so there's different angles to them and some... It's gonna sound like I'm talking about the same objection, but it's, it is sort of the same objection from a different angle. So this first one is natural laws are immutable. What immutable means is they do not change. Um, and so a popular argument against miracles would go like this. Miracles are violations of natural laws. Natural laws are immutable or unchangeable. It is impossible to violate immutable laws, therefore miracles are not possible. The problem with this argument is that it actually commits a logical fallacy called begging the question. They automatically define the natural law as something that can't change. And so automatically miracles will be impossible. And you can't do that. It's a, you're, you're committing a logical fallacy. Now, laws are also not unchangeable because, they're not, because they are descriptions of what happened. They don't cause anything, the laws in and of themselves, but they describe what regularly happens in nature. For instance, gravity. Gravity is describing the action of, you know, why things fall to the ground. David Hume, who was an atheist philosopher, defined a miracle as a violation of a law of nature. And this is, again, a wrong understanding of miracles because natural laws assume... That no other natural or supernatural factors are interfering with the operation of what the law describes here 's an example: oxygen and potassium when they combine combust they explode, but both of them are present in the human body, and yet we do not burst into flames this this not mean this doesn 't mean it 's A miracle or that any laws are being violated because there's not so when something is a law it states what is going to happen under idolized or idealized conditions assuming no other factors are in place or interfering so since the human body has other factors interfering it's not a violation of the law since this is the case If the supernatural is occurring in the natural world, then the idolized conditions described by the law are no longer in effect. So here's three easy ways to understand it. If an apple falls from the tree, you are witnessing the gravity effect, as I mentioned. If you catch that apple, you're not violating the law or you're not negating the law. You're simply intervening in the law. So a human using their free will to catch the apple overrides the natural law of gravity. And this is what God does when he causes a miracle to happen. If you imagine a a box, and this is the difference between an atheist worldview and a Christian worldview. The atheist worldview says this is the box. This box is the universe. The top is closed. Nothing can get in or out of this universe. They automatically discount miracles or anything supernatural because in their mind... The box is closed. Our view is that the universe is the box, but the top is open, and God reaches his hand in whenever he sees fit to cause a miracle. So that's the difference. Um, You could also look at, you know, we violate natural laws all the time. We violate gravity more frequently. That's the biggest law we violate with airplanes because we intervene with aerodynamics, a baseball player whacks a baseball over, you know, makes a home run. We violate gravity by sending rocket ships into space. There are so many different natural laws that we violate simply by um, existing. Like I said, the potassium and oxygen. We violate the natural laws when we air seal peanut butter, and you have to peel that seal up. When they air seal it, they suck all the air out, so nothing can gross. We violate the natural law there. There's so many different things. And so for someone to say that the natural law is not violatable is an error. Now, someone else would say, and this is along the same lines, uh, there's a contradiction between science and miracles. But because miracles lie outside of science, and as I said, God reaches into the natural world, It's not contradictory to it. It's just, as I said, it's an intervention. And then, can we dismiss all miracles as superstition? And in a sense, when science makes progress, it's actually really good for us when it comes to proving miracles because what it does is it pushes all the stuff we can prove naturally out of the way so that we can see the miracle more clearly. Uh, If you look at... um, no, nope. on a side note, there is a lot of miracles in the Bible. If you look, there's the virgin birth, the resurrection, walking on water, the dividing of the Red Sea, the manna from heaven, feeding of the 5,000, and there's a hundred more, you know, tons of them. And what a lot of liberal scholars do, and a lot of this came about in, uh, I can't remember what the movement was called now. It, was in, it happened in Germany. And people, Christians, thought they'd be progressive thinkers and decide that maybe God didn't really perform miracles, so there must be natural explanations for things. So when the Red Sea split apart, they had a reason for it, some natural explanation. And so uh, the same thing happened when uh, God stopped the Jordan River, when Elijah went and slapped his mantle in the river and it split open they'd say, oh, something must have happened. It must have dammed up the river so he could walk across. And could God have used something natural to do those things? He could have. Do I think he did? I don't. It does say the wind blew throughout the night to split the Red Sea. But it had to have been a divine wind to do that because of all the water that would have had to have been pushed aside in the first place to do that. Uh. Walking on water. I, there's so many different excuses for how God does things supernaturally, naturally, supernaturally, however you want to put that. Um, I dismiss those because if I think God said He's going to do it, it's probably, He probably used a miracle. There's another argument against miracles it says that nature is so conclusively uniform that any evidence of miracles could never get past it. And the resurrection would be a good case uh, to look at this argument. Now, they would say, we have thousands of years of conclusive evidence that dead people do not naturally rise from the dead. And so Jesus could not have possibly risen from the dead naturally. And this is true people don't rise from the dead naturally. But of course, that's not what we're trying to prove. Uh, This is not true for the resurrection of Christ because Jesus did not rise from the dead naturally. God rose him from the dead. This is again God reaching his hand in to that box and saying, my son's going to rise from the dead. Because, and Christians believe both these things, that Jesus rose from the dead and dead people don't naturally rise from the dead. And there are... I want to say six, five or six resuscitations in scripture. And obviously Jesus was the first resurrection. So if you dispute the resurrection, it can't be with the argument that men in general stay in their graves, but that Jesus Christ did not. So if someone wants to legitimately argue against the miracle of the resurrection, you have to argue against the evidence of the resurrection. Not that everybody else has remained in their grave. And as I said, Jesus did not raise from the dead naturally. God raised him up. Now, someone would say, well, that's an extraordinary event. So you need an extraordinary amount of evidence for that, to believe that. But that's a fallacy as well. And this is the reason. Suppose that you're watching the evening news and you're looking for the lotto numbers. And the lotto numbers are 2, 3, 7, 9, and 8. And the mega number is 6. All those numbers are under 10. The odds of all those numbers being under 10, and I looked up, I went to the California Lottery page to see if I could find if that had happened and I couldn't find it. I could find, I think, 3 at the most under 10, and then the others were all above that. So the odds of getting this are millions and millions to one. And I don't know exactly cause I'm not a statistician, but it's in the millions. Um, but suppose that was reported on the evening news. Now you would be predisposed to believe that because you know, the evening news, they may be liberal, but they're not usually going to lie about the lotto numbers. So because that standard is there, it's rational for you to accept that they're giving you those numbers. You believe it even if the odds are staggering. Now, if the news has a high probability of being accurate in reporting the lottery numbers, then it's, as I said, it is improbable they would inaccurately report it. And you can look at the resurrection this exactly same exact same way. You could find it highly improbable that Jesus could rise from the dead, but you have to consider the other evidence that goes with that. The evidence that there's an empty tomb. The evidence of the appearances of Jesus, and there's a lot of them and then the sudden boldness of his disciples in proclaiming the message they went from cowards to courageous in you know overnight once they saw Jesus and he said wait wait for the spirit and you know they became these bold witnesses and what can account for that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead nothing can account for all this other evidence and i only listed 3 things there's a lot more than that and with miracles, it comes down to one thing, and this isn't the end of the study but it comes down to one thing: If God exists, in what way is Jesus' resurrection improbable or impossible? It's not. If someone believes God exists, he, then they probably believe that he's omnipotent, or he's omniscient, so he probably knows all. He's all-powerful, so it would be a really small thing for God to intervene and raise somebody from the dead. It's a small thing for God to feed 5,000 people or to split the Red Sea if God exists. And then why do people discount miracles? There is a principle, a logical principle, called inference to the best explanation. And what this means is that if you have a large amount of evidence to explain, you have a pool of live options with which you get to pick from, with the one that explains the data or the information best, the one that's being chosen. So imagine that there's a swimming pool or, let's see, well, we'll imagine there's a swimming pool. The edge of the pool is all the evidence you must explain and there's five floaties in the pool and each one of those floaties, the one that's closest to the edge is the one that represents it the best. But let's say that the person who looked at that said, I don't like that color or, you know, I, I just don't like it for whatever reason. And so they go and they look for the one that's farthest away because maybe they like the color better. So because someone doesn't want to believe in miracles, they will discount the evidence or they'll discount what makes the most sense. Um, I mentioned, I don't know if I mentioned, David Hume was a philosopher. I did mention him, I think. Uh, he discounted the resurrection from the outset because he says those things don't happen. Um, who else? There was a Jewish philosopher. I think his name was Joe Zin or something to that effect. The same thing. Discounted it from the beginning. So unless there's some proof of atheism, there's no reason to discount supernatural explanation from those uh, options. I need to come up with a better example. But uh, you can't throw out an option simply because you don't like it. And if you, you find in apologetics that a lot of times if people don't like what's best, they'll throw it out to find what fits them and that actually fits with the signs of the times with people having itching ears. They want to hear things that make them feel good. They don't want to hear things that make them feel bad. Now there's three criteria to make something a miracle. One of them is it's an instantaneous uh, or powerful act, an instantaneous power of act, powerful act. So the power component of a miracle means that the sign can't be explained naturally. And I've covered this. If a natural cause is possible, then we're not going to define it as a miracle. A miracle will transcend nature and be supernatural. If something can be accounted for in terms of natural forces, then that were operable at the time and place. That didn't make sense. Anyway, it transcends nature and it has to be supernatural. You'll find one of the reasons, and I forget who I talked to at work, but someone at work didn't believe it because they thought the word miracle was overused. I could say, we just bought a van recently. It's a miracle I found a van in our price range. But that's not really a miracle. That was merely patience and looking for the right deal. Or I could say, it's a miracle I made it to work on time with all that traffic. And so it's, it's like the word love in society. It's tossed around. It really means nothing now. Um, and so a lot of people will use that as a reason to discount miracles as well. But again, uh, the second criteria would be there's an intelligent design and purpose for the miracle. And this means that no sign is done without some obvious purpose or intent. It has to be a sign from God. So the miracle is either there to confirm a truth, to confirm a messenger of the truth, or to bring glory to God. God never does His miracles for entertainment purposes. Of course, that's what the Pharisees wanted Jesus to do. Along with the people, after He fed the five thousand, they said, uh, "Would they cross the Sea of Galilee to get fed again?" He said, "Oh, you didn't, you didn't." follow me because you saw the signs, but because you had the loaves and were filled. So an example of this purpose, the second one, which is intelligent design and purpose. This is important because there has to be some context, as I said, or a purpose behind it. Now imagine that the Queen of England died and she reappeared a month later. It'd be kind of like an unexplained anomaly in history. We'd be like, well, why did that happen? There was no good reason for it to happen. Um, There was no purpose in it. But when you look at Jesus, Jesus was constantly performing miracles. But he didn't just do it because he was, you know, entertaining anybody. He was doing it because he was doing it to prove that he was the Messiah that was sent. He was doing it to prove the kingdom of God was coming near. And he did it because people had faith, and that faith was bringing glory to God. And the places where the people did not believe, he didn't do many miracles. And again, all this culminated with the ultimate miracle of his resurrection. All these miracles verified his claims, and his authority was from God. So while the queen's resurrection would be an enigma, and we'd wonder why it happened, with Jesus it was to be expected. We knew why it was happening. There was a purpose in it. And the third reason or criteria, the miracle has to promote good or right behavior. And it's basically a moral component because any sign connected with error or immorality is not going to be a sign from God because God's unchanging nature is truth and morality and he would never confirm an error. And we can use that third one especially if we look at Joseph Smith which is a little bit farther. If we look at Joseph Smith, he was known before he started the religion as a treasure hunter. And a, uh, I forget what they called it right now, but people would take that one Y-shaped stick, divining rod, thank you. But they'd go, oh, I'm sensing water or whatever. And he would do that. That's what he did for a living. And Uh, him and his father went on treasure hunts for Captain Kidd's gold. And they were prolific at it. They were known for it. Their reputation preceded them when it came to that. So when he all of a sudden said, oh, I've got, I forget how many plates there were. Uh, I've got these plates from the angel Moroni, and they've got this special writing on it, and I can only read it with these special glasses in this cave that no one can be with me. I've got to be behind this curtain. And no one ever saw these plates, And then his doctrine was one of, well, weirdness for one, um, polygamy, and just immoral to begin with. Now, obviously, not all Mormons now believe all those things. A lot of them push family values and stuff, and that's commendable. Unfortunately, they're sincerely wrong about salvation. But using this as a criteria, because a lot of what he did was immoral and wrong, uh, it can't possibly have been from God, because God wouldn't, it would go against his character. Did Jesus really perform miracles? I read a couple of different books, and a couple of different articles on the internet, and while there are definitely uh, scholars who believe he didn't, cr- do any real miracles. There are a lot of liberal scholars and even scholars who are not Christians who believe that he must have done something that was uh, that at least seemed miraculous because it's so prolific in history in, in the writings that are about him. If you look at um, I, can't, I can't remember if it was Plenty of the Elder or Plenty of the Younger but when he was talking about Um, he was writing a letter back and forth between him and the emperor. What am I supposed to do with these Christians? They follow this guy named Jesus who was supposedly a miracle worker and did all these things and then supposedly rose from the dead. So all this information is in, you know, it's supported by all these, uh, secular historians. And so most liberal scholars believe that Jesus must have done something significant or or miracle wise. Um, even if they, some of them think it was legendary. But the idea that Jesus was an exorcist and a miracle worker is part of who he was historically. And the history is not in question. So the reason to believe these were genuine miracles, the reason not to believe that these were genuine uh, can only be a philosophical question, not a historical one. So someone, really, you could only ask them, do you believe in miracles? Do you believe miracles can occur or not? And again, that goes back to, well, do you believe God exists? And you can also look back into Jewish history, and Jesus wasn't the first supposed little miracle worker, so it fit in the background of the Jewish time that there were some people back there, not just Jesus, who did things that were apparently uh, divine, but of course Jesus was the one that was the Son of God, and his was proved. Uh, The idea that Jesus performed miracles is in all four Gospels, with many of the miracles having um, multiple attestation from the different Gospels. And the feeding of the 5,000 is the one parable that's in all four. And there's not the slightest hint in any of the Gospels that Jesus wasn't a miracle worker. Uh, So it was more than likely part of the historical Jesus. And again... Some people, another argument. Some people would say, just because different people say it happened, that doesn't mean it happened. And that's true. But you have to look at, again, we looked at the character of Joseph Smith. He was not known as someone who was honest. He was known as a fraud. He was known as someone who was looking to get rich quick. But you look at the character of the people who wrote the Gospels, and you look at the character of the people uh, who lived then, And their whole point in writing the Gospels was to get it it as accurate as they could so they could properly portray Jesus. And if you look at the Gospel of Luke, I don't know of any historian who thinks that's not a historical book because it's so well-written in classical Greek. It's so well-attested archaeologically, historically. They used to think that Quirinius... I think it's in chapter two, was not a real person. They said, oh, this must not be real. Luke got it wrong. We can't find anything about it. And they said that for years. And all of a sudden they dig up this stone and they keep digging up stones that prove the Bible that said Quirinius, governor of such and such between this time, exactly in the time frame that it was supposed to be. So all these things historically happened. Um, and again, multiple attestation from people who were trying to make sure the gospel was given correctly and accurately. Some people say his miracles and his resurrection couldn't have been true because it was legend. But there was no time for legend to develop. Usually they say it takes more than 100 years for legend to develop because under 100 years there's probably someone alive who remembers the event who can attest to it. There's actually better historical uh, grounds for believing the resurrection than any other miracle that is listed in the Gospels. And as I mentioned before, the empty tomb, the resurrection appearances, the disciples' belief in the resurrection. And again, there's books on just the resurrection and why it's true. Uh, Going back to the legend, actually, I'll get to that in a second. Um, didn't Muhammad and Joseph Smith perform miracles? There's no mention in the Quran that Muhammad did miracles, unless you count the miracle of the Quran itself, which some of them will. All the Islamic miracles come from what's known as the Hadith, which is Islamic tradition that was written several hundred years after Muhammad lived. And this, again, can't be compared with the Gospels, which were written by eyewitnesses within the first generation after Jesus' resurrection. This is why it can't be legend. And you can actually, uh, scholars date 1 Corinthians as one of the earliest New Testament books. In 1 Corinthians 15, which let me turn to. It's usually verses 3 to 7. It says, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, starting right here, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Most historians count that as a, uh, an early creed of the Christian church. They would say it very simply. And I've memorized three and four because I like... It mentions the gospel right there in a nutshell. That Christ died for sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. It's just right there. And it would be something they recited over and over again because, of course, they didn't have the New Testament. But they re- they would recite all these different creeds, and there's actually... Uh, several more. There's two more at least written in Timothy. I'm going to read those for you real quick too. First Timothy 3:16 says, "And without controversy great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory." And then the last one is Second Timothy, chapter two, verses eleven to thirteen. This is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Now, these three are early creeds in the church, something the church memorized, uh, something they would recite to each other. It would help them to remember the doctrine because, again, they didn't have the New Testament. They had the Old, and the apostles taught from the Old, and... I'm sure a lot of times they taught about the prophecy. There's some prophecy that we didn't even know was prophecy about Christ until the apostles taught it uh, in the book of Acts. Uh, It was something concealed in the old and revealed in the new. But these early sayings, and I, the first semester I went to college before I completely bombed out of college, um, I took a New Testament... uh, New Testament as literature or something to that effect. I forget what it was called exactly. But the teacher used these early creeds as a reason not to believe that the New Testament was valid. Which didn't make any sense because those creeds actually proved how early the doctrine of Jesus Christ was. And so he looked at it from I don't know, some odd angle. And at the time, I was really young in the faith and I didn't really know anything. Not as much as I do now. So I didn't really contest him, I just kind of listened and went, oh. And then the more I said it, I went, oh, he was wrong. But, you know, there's those three, and then there's several other things. You, a lot of, There's a couple places Paul says this is a faithful saying, and you kind of get the impression that he takes some of those faithful sayings from the early creeds and kind of adds them into his books. But uh, really no chance for legendary development for the Bible uh, because or the New Testament because it was in the Gospels. It was in uh, the first century, within 50 years, with the exception of Revelation, the entire New Testament was written. And Revelation was written by John, obviously, who was a ey- eyewitness. Muhammad also never claimed miracles for himself. Uh, The writers of the Hadith invented the miracles for him. And the Hadith, not the Gospels, is actually a good illustration of how non-historical stories and legends emerge. Because they felt that okay, well, there's no miracles. And if you actually look at the early chapters of the Quran, which are called surahs, he actually tries to get the Christians and the Jews to believe what he's believing. Because he's trying to get them to follow him. And eventually he gets more militant and violent at the end, which is why you have two different branches of uh, Islam. Because there's some who follow the early teachings and some who follow the later teachings. Of course, the people who follow the early teachings, like Pastor said, they're always going to succumb to the warrior Muslims. But it's a good illustration of how legend does emerge. And it was probably written... After Muhammad died, there was... uh, people called the four Caliphates and they basically formed the Muslim or the Islam that we know today and the Hadith came out of them. So if the writing about the miracles is done immediately and as I said, what we have here with the Bible does this legitimize the claim and it doesn't and again, I mentioned Joseph Smith and his supposed claims. But the other reason besides the fact of his person or his uh, credentials, so we can't believe Joseph Smith, is nothing in his book we can verify historically, nothing we can verify archaeologically, and there's an exception to that. If you read the Book of Mormon, he takes huge chunks of Isaiah and other books of the Old Testament and basically inserts them in the middle of his books. So you actually do have a little truth and a lot of bit of lie, and that's probably how he got some of his converts. But that's what he did. And he had stories of uh, Jesus coming to the New World and preaching to the Aztecs and the Indians. And he said there are these giant cities down in South America. And again, uh, no evidence for any of those things. But the Bible is repeatedly verified by archaeology. Now, the other argument is, well, if God performed miracles then why don't we see those miracles today? And there's a couple of reasons. One is there's probably a lack of faith, especially in the country we live in. But I'm pretty sure Pastor Bill's mentioned it before. In other countries, they happen all the time. People over there aren't hindered by, you know, prosperity. They have nothing. They're looking for hope. And when we give them Jesus and... A missionary comes and gives the word of God. A lot of times God gives that missionary the power to heal or perform some sort of miracle and it verifies God's word and they're, they're believed. There's other instances, uh, this book Epicenter, which is like 10 years old now, I think, uh, it was written by Joel Rosenberg, but he talks about these miracles that have happened in the middle East, in the middle of Muslim countries and entire Muslim villages uh, come to faith in Christ simply by a vision or a miracle that the entire village had, or some miracle that was performed and they all went, oh, well, it doesn't matter about Muhammad now, we're following Jesus. And, and it does. It happens over there all the time. And again, it's usually a lack of faith. Um, but a lot of times we don't need a miracle to confirm God's word here. A lot of people know it. And with, uh, you know, We think we're very smart, too, so we try to use logic and everything. And, you know, I love apologetics because it does have logic. It does have reason. We have a reasonable faith, and it confirms it. Um, But there's more miracles that happen over there than there is over here. But, again, we know miracles happen because I've seen and known people who've gotten completely well in the hospital with doctors with no explanation. So that would happen, I think, for one reason. is uh, The third reason that miracles happen is the glory of God. And obviously God gets the glory, and I've seen people give God the glory for those things. The last thing I want to bring up is we can look at miracles, we can look at the evidence for them, but if someone is unwilling to look with that evidence points, it doesn't really do any good. Ultimately, we know that our faith in God is real because... We know God's spirit is the one that touches our hearts. It's God's spirit that brings us the light. It's God's spirit that knocks on the door to our hearts and draws us to Christ. And we know we're Christians not because we've seen the evidence. We know we're Christians because we've met Christ personally. It's almost like, you know, there's there's two ways people come to faith. I didn't come to faith because I looked at the evidence and thought, oh, that's what I'm going to follow. I came to faith and I've told my story before but I basically was given a Bible by the Gideons I decided over several courses of lunch in uh, high school to read the New Testament I read it and went this is the right thing and I started following that from that point on Uh, and that's really as simple as my testimony is I don't really have one I just decided I'm going to up and follow Jesus one day and I did And it wasn't until five years later when I started really studying what apologetics was that I went, oh, this is good. I like this stuff. But it never became primary. Apologetics is always secondary to our faith. It helps bolster our faith, but it's not the primary reason for our faith. It helps us give good answers to people. It helps us give reasons for what we believe. Uh, But on the opposite end of that, um, if you look at people like William Lane Craig, who was an atheist in high school, but he was an atheist with an open mind. He was an atheist who went, I want to look at what all the facts are, I want to look at what all the evidence is and see where it leads me. And it led him to Christ. And he, he himself said, I saw that stuff, but once I met Christ personally, it all took, a sec- it took second place because knowing Christ was more important. And this is the guy who's the top apologist in Christianity today. Yes? Uh, Defending your faith. Uh, It comes from the Greek word apologia, which means to defend. It's a legal term uh, as in a court of law. Like if you look at Matlock, defense attorney, uh, he was defending his clients. So that's what it is. I read a, not a parable, but an example of how this works. Imagine that you're the CEO. Well, you don't have to imagine, you're the CEO. Uh, (laughs) There's a CEO of a company, and you work for that person, and you drive up, you see their car in the parking lot, you look up to where the office is, you see the light is on, you walk in, you ask the secretary, the CEO, and she says yes. Now that's all the evidence that the CEO is there. But it all all that evidence takes a second second place or a secondary position when you go in and you personally talk to the CEO. And that's really the best way to look at your relationship to Christ with the evidence. I can't remember what that train, there's a a train of, uh, I can't remember it now. Anyway, that is miracles. Um, I love apologetics. And I've always had, even though I've done a lot of reading, I've always had to back off at times because it starts to take over. Uh, my life sometimes because I'll go, I'll start putting the Bible away for apologetics books. And then I have to go, uh, and I'll get rid of them and then I'll come back and I'll read the Bible a lot. And so I try to balance it a lot. I mentioned before that I've read a lot of books, but again, it took me 20 years to read that many. Um, but it's good to have reasons for our faith, but it's even better, uh, when we live the faith and people see that we live it. And like everybody else, uh, we have family and friends and coworkers who they don 't care how much we know unless they know how much we care in the first place if we don 't care if we don 't show that, then it doesn 't mean anything there 's i 'm um, sure I brought this person up before someone at work who I talked to about the faith many times and i am a it may not seem like it but i 'm a big prankster uh, I play jokes on people. I am very sarcastic. In fact, I tell people uh, sarcasm is another service I offer a lot of times. And I can probably sometimes be a little too brutal sometimes. But if I think I am, I always go back and apologize. But a lot of times I'll go back and I'll talk to those people. And they know that I'm doing it in a good-natured way. And I try not to be the stoic Christian who doesn't think anything's funny, but, and I'm not, uh, I just look serious all the time because I'm focused on one thing or another, but it gives me an opportunity to talk to them later because they see that I'm not really that angry person who has that look, but I'm the person who knows how to joke because Christianity, everybody takes it as, you know, we have a serious calling, we have a uh, a serious mission because there's people going to hell, but at the same time, even Jesus, and this is my personal opinion, I don't think Jesus was this stoic, hard person all the time. If he was, children wouldn't have wanted to come up to him. You know, m- most of the kids I know outside of my family, uh, I, in fact, I used to work at Calvary Chapel of Mesa in one of the daughters of the teachers who worked at the school. She called me scary Eric (laughs) because I know I look scary and I can't help it. Uh, I just do. But my kids, they don't think a thing of it. They know I joke. They know I look serious. They don't care how I look. They come up and run up to me anyway, but children Jesus didn't know came up to him, which means he was not, he obviously didn't look like me because they would have run away. But, he had that care for them and that same care. And even the, you know, and Jesus knew the scriptures better than anybody because he was the scriptures. He was the living word. And yet he let the word live through him. And that's the same thing we need to do. You know, it does, again, it doesn't matter what we know if we don't care. And so hopefully, you know, as you study, uh, you'll get opportunity. And again, I apologize I really wanted to. Again, I'm glad Pastor Bill's back (laughs) on Sunday because, as much as I love to study this, I cannot get. I I wanted to have a format for you guys to fill out, and I just had zero time, Um, and I barely finished this. Yes. Oh shit. Yeah.
1: hmm Is that considered a miracle? Somebody sees angel, angels telling them to do something or helps them or saves them? There's what, one example we saw recently, it's been a lot There was a town. There's a town I think it was in Oregon. Mm-hmm. They started getting together and all the children are telling the same story that somebody appeared to them and told them it was going to be okay and when things when the bomb went off, before it went off the, the children were all saying that something came to them and told them to move farther back in the room and then to stay by so and so and then when the bomb went off and they were getting out and a couple of teachers broke windows to get out and carried most of the children out a lot of them had the same story afterwards that somebody had told them Get out! But they all had the same story. All these children were saying, "Somebody came to them and told them to go here, go there, and stay back." So, and also when the bomb went off, they said that the way it went off, rather than going out. Mm part of the story is about the one guy one of the one of the people critical people in the story was a sheriff and he was kind of like had mixed feelings about yes or no and that incident and all the stuff the kids are saying even his own kids helped him come back to the lord and started devoting his life more to christ going to church again but it's really a good
0: good story but things like that it makes you wonder like i would say that's a miracle i mean there's Angels closed the lion's mouth for Daniel. I mean, that was a miracle. So there's those type of things. I mean, I remember reading Billy Graham's book on angels, and there was a missionary out in the middle of the jungle, and he knew the villagers were going to come kill him. And they basically surrounded his hut or wherever he was staying one night. And all of a sudden, uh, when he thought they were going to kill him, they all turned around and left. Now, he he eventually was able to witness to one or two of them and a lot of them became saved and I think it was the chief of the village or someone important, I forget who it was specifically now I haven't read the book in a long time but came up to him and he was asking him about that one night he said, yeah we were going to attack you, we were ready to kill you but those big men who were surrounding you to protect you we didn't think we could beat them and so we took off and he's all, uh, it was just me he's all, no There were some tall guys there. And so angels protected him. And so obviously that would be the third reason for miracles, which is giving glory to God. People came. And if that's what happened, the guy had a deeper faith and dedication. That was probably the purpose of the miracle. I definitely believe he uses his angels. The only thing that I'm ever wary about is a lot of times people start to idolize the angels. um, And that's what I don't like. And that's the reason, you know, I talked about the heaven and back books before. The reason I don't believe any of those is because people start to look at uh, those books and take them as the gospel truth when most of them don't even line up with what the Bible says about heaven to begin with. So if those things... And what you, the story you describe sounds legitimate to me, um, as far as it being a miracle from God, because again, God all uses angels, but you know i in Christian, you know <laughs> I like angels, I like the role they play in the Bible, but I hate how they 're used in advertising. I hate how i don 't know what the word is uh commercialized that 's the word i 'm looking for commercialized because if the angels were here, they'd say, why are you doing that to us? We're fellow servants like you are. And so I hate that. And I, when people give me things with angels on them, I donate it because I don't want it. Um, I really don't like, again, I like angels. I don't like the commercialization of them. And I'm, judging by the attitude they have, don't bow down to me. I'm just a servant like you are. I'm pretty sure they hate it too. Because they just want to bring glory to God. Well, I think in
1: our country, there's a lot of skepticism, partly because of the um,
0: false faith healers and prosperity gospel. But because that all brings glory to them. It's bringing glory to God. And so I Mm -hmm. think people begin to kind of get callous to it. Yeah. And so it's just unfortunate. It's it's so prevalent here because we're prosperous but uh any other questions comments tomatoes thrown at me okay
1: yeah, yeah.
0: that would that'd be a good description that's what my wife, my wife would say. She said, I always thought he was a serial killer in the corner. I didn't realize how funny he was. But you can ask her on Sunday. She'll say that. Scary. Okay. Closing prayer. Lord, I thank you for this time. I hope it was beneficial. And I do thank you that you use miracles to bring glory to yourself. I thank you that you use miracles to bring others to you, Lord. And, Lord... May we never put the miracle above you. May we never put your servants above you. May we put you and your word on the highest pedestal. And may we serve only you, Lord, with our mind and our heart. Uh, Again, thank you for this time and this night. And pray that you give Pastor Bill a safe journey home uh, from his vacation. And we will see you in this Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen.